0: Okay, we're going to be reading in Daniel. So let me, let me uh, just briefly cover what, what I covered last time, a brief background from, from the, the book of Daniel. And um, so in, in, uh, in Daniel, it talks about the reasons why they were going to be going into this captivity. So it's 605 BC. Daniel is in the first wave of people when King Nebuchadnezzar attacks the city. The city was specifically attacked for a few reasons. It was because of their idolatry. It was because they were not caring for the poor. And because they did not give a Sabbath rest to the land. God told them that he would exile them from the land for 70 years. In the first campaign that Nebuchadnezzar attacked, he took over the city. He put in his, his own vassal as king there, and Daniel went out in this first wave of people that went out. That was in 605 B.C. Eight years later, he attacked again because they remained rebellious in 597 B.C., and he took 10,000 skilled workers, and he also took the prophet Ezekiel out with him. In 587 B.C. and 586 B.C., he came the third time and he utterly destroyed Jerusalem. He burned it to the ground. Uh, and and that, that's when there was the confrontation with Jeremiah the prophet, where, where uh, um, they spoke very kindly to Jeremiah because they were well aware of his prophecies. The book of Daniel is not written chronologically, but we will just follow it according to chapter by chapter. Uh, it is one of the four periods of miracles in the Bible. So you think, oh, the Bible is full of miracles. It is in certain portions, and then you have decades and and hundreds of years without extensive miracles, very much like what you'd see today. The four periods are ex- Exodus and their time in the wilderness, Elijah and Elisha, uh, uh, the Gospels and the Book of Acts, and the fourth period being Daniel, where you see a lot of miracles. So what I want to do is I want to just look at a few prophecies so that, they, so that we know that they knew that this was coming. If you look in Isaiah, let's look in, in, the, in the prophet Isaiah, So turn to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. And you'll see that there is a prophecy. And we're going to start, we're just going to pick this up at verse 5, where it says Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hezekiah was one of the kings of of Jerusalem. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that's in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your sons who issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. Not a very caring king about the future. So, this prophecy comes and he was okay with it because there was a prophecy of destruction after he was gone. So, he didn't seem to really care. But it was very specific. It said that this city will be taken over by the Babylonians. And that, that, that offspring of his, descendants of his, are going to be taken into Babylon and become officials in Babylon. And it was among the nobility that Daniel and his three friends were, were from that group from the upper class there, and you, you can see that this was prophesied, and this prophecy comes out about 75 to 100 years before it ever took place. Okay, let's, let's turn to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to read in Jeremiah chapter 21. Jeremiah chapter 21, and we're going to look down at uh, uh, verse 6. So Jeremiah was prophesying, he says, I will also strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, they will die of great pestilence. Then afterwards declares the Lord, I will give over Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people, even those who survive in this city from the pestilence, the sword, the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their foes and into the hand of those who seek their lives. And he will strike them down with the edge of the sword. He will not spare them, nor have pity on them. So, you see that Jeremiah prophesies specifically, and this is this may be about a decade before it occurred, he names specifically who is going to do this overcoming. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, by name, is going to do this. So, Ultimately, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys the city for the final time, he actually has his 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 guards isolate Jeremiah, who was actually in prison, imprisoned by the king of Jerusalem for the things that he was prophesying, and he he uh, uh, met with him or had his his people meet with him specifically. Look in, in Jeremiah chapter thirty-nine. Jeremiah chapter thirty-nine. We'll start reading from verse 11. Jeremiah 39, verse 11. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave orders about Jeremiah through Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, saying, Take him and look after him and do nothing harmful to him, but rather deal with him just as he tells you. So Nebuchadnezzar, the the captain of the bodyguard, sent word along with Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the Rabsaris and Negar Sar Ezer, the Ragmab, and all the leading officers of Babylon, they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the guardhouse and entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim, the son of Shaphan, to take him home. So he stayed among his own people. Now turn over one chapter. Go to Jeremiah chapter 40. Jeremiah chapter 40. And we'll start reading verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, king of the bodyguard had released him from Remah, when he had taken him and bound him in chains among all the exiles of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. Now the captain of the bodyguard had taken Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God promised this calamity against this place and the Lord has brought it on and done just as he promised. So you see that this is the Babylonians are very well aware of what Jeremiah had prophesied. That Jeremiah had prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar will take over this land. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar has this amazing school of wise people there that are counseling him, that are even telling him what the prophets in Jerusalem are saying. And they say, just as you prophesied, it has come about. He says in verse 4, but now... Behold, I am freeing you today from the chains which are on your hands. If you would prefer to come with me to Babylon, come along, and I will look after you. But if you would prefer not to come with me to Babylon, never mind. Look, the whole land is before you. Go wherever it seems good and right for you to go. As Jeremiah was still going back, he said, and and Jeremiah was still not going back, he said, Go on back then to Gedaliah, the son of Haikim. the son of Shaphan, whom king of Babylon is appointed over the cities of Judah, and stay with him among the people, or else go anywhere that seems right to you. So the captain of the bodyguard gave him a ration and a gift and let him go. And then he ends up going to Mizpah. So uh, Ezekiel was actually taken captive, and, and he went up into Babylon during that second attack, that second wave, with the 10,000 skilled workers he went. But Jeremiah he let go. So we see that there is this th- this confluence of all these prophets and the people of Babylon knowing about this. Okay, so le- now let's turn to Daniel and start and and, and uh, pick up now in Daniel. We're going to start reading in chapter one, Daniel chapter one, and we'll re- we'll review the two verses we re- we read last time. In the third year. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And what we talked about is this is not merely the strong overcoming the weak. God did this. It says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord did this. And we talked last week about how the Lord allows things to happen in people's lives. And how Daniel was caught up in the disobedience of Israel, uh, in the disobedience of Judah. He was not disobedient. His friends were not disobedient. But we are caught up in what happens politically and socially. We are caught up in this. And what God is doing is he's teaching us to learn how to live. So the instruction in the book of Daniel is he's teaching Daniel and Israel and believers in general how to live under quote-unquote Gentile rule. We are under politicians. We are under world governments. How do we live under them? This is what he's teaching us. He's also teaching Daniel and his friends how to reflect the God of Israel to these Gentile nations that are overcoming them. This is also our test. How do we reflect the God of Israel That we love and honor to people around us who are our overlords in a sense. How do we reflect that to them? And then thirdly, he's setting up Daniel to care for these next two waves of Judeans that are going to be brought into Babylon. So Daniel moves up very rapidly through the upper echelons there. So now let's start reading in verse Uh, So so in verse 2, when he got these vessels, we know exactly the number of vessels that came from Judah into Babylon, because that is documented, I think it was 5,200 or 5,400 vessels, that is documented later on during their return. The promise was that they would be in Babylon 70 years. That is what Jeremiah had prophesied. Verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food, and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So, it says that the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, the chief of his officials, he was a eunuch. Eunuch means that a man who has been castrated. And Daniel and his three friends were probably castrated as well, as were most men that worked in the, in the, uh, um, in the palace area. And in fact, it caused men to be extremely dedicated in service because they weren't attracted to women anymore. The, the, the drive goes away substantially. If they're castrated after puberty, puberty, these men were at least 15 to 20. If they're castrated after puberty, they, they continue to look like a man. They have the deep voice. But if they're castrated before puberty, they, the voice never changes. But, but uh, um, much of the sex drive goes away. So these three, Daniel and his three friends, there's a lot going on in their lives. So, Eshbenaz is the chief of the eunuchs. These men are probably made into eunuchs as well just because of the signs of the times that we have, the writings of the times. though it doesn't specifically say it here. But we do see, we have no indication of Daniel ever marrying. And it says that they brought in the royal family and some of the nobles. So whether Daniel and his three friends were, at, were among the actual descendants of the kingly line or just of the nobility, we are not sure. Uh, but they were, they were from the upper echelons of Jerusalem. These are who were brought in. And, he, and, and the king specifically chose these, these Hebrew young men and he said he wanted ones in whom there was no defect, so they couldn't have a limp or a cleft palate, a cleft jaw or something like that. It couldn't happen. They were good looking. They had to show intelligence in every branch of wisdom. So in other words, they would speak with them. And the way they, they would answer, how quickly they could answer, would affect how, if, whether they were chosen or not. chosen or not. In every branch of wisdom and endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. In other words, they're questioned. Can they answer? Can they answer? This is a, a, a real test. So they're brought in. So just think of this. They're coming from a little city, Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, is about a third the size of the Rice campus. It's a small, walled city. They're brought into this huge Babylon. Babylon. Babylon was the biggest city. Babylon was where the Tower of Babel was in Genesis. Babylon is now a huge city, very well developed. They're brought into this. Who knows what they saw during this first conquest? How many people they saw die? Whether their parents died or not, we don't know. But certainly they were torn away from their homes. They're right about the age of many of you in this room. Somewhere between the ages of 15 and 20. They're brought into this environment, and the first thing, they start going through a testing. Because what the king would do is he would bring people in, they would be trained in the teachings of the Chaldeans, and then he would send them as his ambassadors into his conquered kingdom. Many of them may be returning to Jerusalem, but now after they've been taught. And so, once they chose them, it says that... that whoever had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So this involves science, but it also involves the occult. Remember, Babylon was the biggest place of idol worship. And one of the penalties that, for being overcome by Babylon was because of Israel's idol worship. So he gave them idols till it was coming out of their ears. He said, you want idols? I'm going to take you to Babylon. You'll see idols. And, in fact, that Israel never underwent idol worship again. After the diaspora, after that first 70 years and they came back, idol worship has never been a problem for Israel again to this day. uh, uh, um, Jews are extremely sensitive about idol worship. And uh, 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 they will resist it at at all costs because of this event. And so they, they... they had to teach, they had to undergo this. It says, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and he appointed that they should be educated three years. So, three years of education he put them through. Three years of education so he's gonna, they're going to teach them very clearly how to read, write, and to speak <clears throat> the language of these people. They're going to have to le- learn how to do that. This Aramaic. And we know that because Because of the the 12 books, the 12 chapters in Daniel, half of them are written in Hebrew. The other half are written in Aramaic. So he learned it very well. Very high training, high level of training. And it says, and and, uh, at, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's interesting, if you go into a Jewish home, they will know this story of Daniel very well. And they call them Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You go into a Gentile home, a non-Jewish home, who's a, a Christian home, and they will know this story of Daniel very well. And they'll say, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They will use their Babylonian names for the other three. The Jews also always use the Jewish names. The, the Gentiles use the Babylonian names. It's, it's an in- interesting thing that happens. Now, now uh, Daniel, Hanani, and Mishael and Azariah are all godly names, so they came from godly families. They all have godly names, and now they are given new names. They are all given names relating to the gods, the idols of Babylon. That's what they're given. So now, what we have to think about is think about this. They are brought into a land, and they are told what they're going to study. What they're going to major in, what they're going to eat, what their degree is going to be in, and what they're going to be called, and when they're going to graduate, when you graduate, you work for me. That's what he's saying. All of this, all of their identity is stripped away. Everything is stripped away. This is what God is teaching through this. That how do we live when we even feel that our own identity is being stripped away? None of us has had our identity stripped away as much as these guys have had their identity stripped away. Remember, they've probably all been castrated as well. So their identity is entirely stripped away. How will you live? And what we will see is an enormous concern that Daniel has now for the king. You'd think he'd hate that king. That At every chance he has, he has he'd be cursing that king. Here he overruns his, his nation, pulls him out of his family, pulls him out of his education there in, in Israel, there in, in, in Judah, and then establishes a whole new life, has him castrated, has him set aside in this way, and demands all these things of him. And now he's saying he, 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 we're going to see Daniel's view of his superiors. So let's, let's look in uh, um, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So, what's wrong with the food? This is food directly from the table of the king. I mean, prisoners of war generally don't eat very well. And they don't. But this is special. Because he is training them for them to be leaders in his... in in they're, They're to be ministers in his cabinet. And they're eating the very food from his table. The very food from his table. You'd think they'd say... Hey, this is pretty good life. At least I get to eat good food. But what's wrong with the king's choice food? Because remember, it's not kosher. It's not killed in the right way. The meat is certainly offered up to idols. And the wine, we know from, from Daniel chapter 5, wine was also offered up to idols. So because of that, they couldn't drink the wine. And, and uh, uh, without being in violation. So, it's not like Daniel says, well, forget it, Jack. I'm not eating your food. He doesn't do that. Daniel, the first thing he did is he made up his mind that he would not defile himself. In other words, Lord, because of you, I am making decisions. The first step is you make up your mind. Let me give you an example. If you want to go through college and live a godly sexual life that is reserved for your spouse to be, it starts up here. You make up your mind to live this way because of God. Daniel made up his mind. It starts up here. You don't wait until you're in a situation with somebody and you're just climbing all over each other, that's a bad time to make up your mind as to what you're going to be doing. You make up your mind now how you want to live. If you have already lost your virginity, I am not I'm not picking on anybody. I am saying from this day, you can make up your mind how you will live from this point onward. You can't make up your mind how you're going to live in the past. But you can make up your mind how you are going to live in the future. And what you do is you make up in your mind that you are going to live in a godly manner. This is what Daniel did. He made up in his mind that he would not defile himself. The defiling comes because of something that God had commanded. We make up our minds to walk in a certain way. And that doesn't mean that if we blow it, we're done for. No, you make up your mind again. Lord, forgive me and let me walk your way. We make up our mind to walk in a certain way. The decision is not made in the heat of the trouble. The decision is made prior to that. That is where you make up your decision. And this is where all of us, what all of us should do. I have to make up certain decisions to keep myself from losing my temper. That doesn't mean that I've never lost my temper. Oh, I've lost my temper at work. But I go back to the Lord and I ask forgiveness. And I go to the person and I ask forgiveness. And I go to my research group and I ask for their forgiveness. And I say, Lord, let me never do that again. There are decisions that we make. The battle starts right up here in our mind and we make a decision to walk in his way. This is the life of the believer. This is the life of Daniel. He made up his mind that he would not defile himself. So what did he do after he made up his mind? He sought permission from the officials that he would not defile himself. This man understood authority. There was a commander, a centurion, who asked Jesus? He said, "He said, uh, um, come to my house and heal my slave. He's sick." And Jesus said, "I'm on my way." When he heard that this centurion had done a lot for the Jewish nation, he actually had the Jewish leaders appealing on his behalf. They said, "This man has been very good to us. This commander has been very good to us. Please go and and and, and do what he asks you." And Jesus is on his way. Why is Jesus on his way to this Gentile's home? Because Jesus knows the promise that was given to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. This man had blessed the Jewish nation. Jesus said, I'm on my way to his house. As Jesus is going, the commander sends someone and says, don't even bother coming to my house. I'm not even worthy to have you come in my house. You just speak the word, my slave will be well, and it'll be done. And Jesus is like, whoa! I have not seen such faith in all of Israel as I have seen in this man. That's what Jesus said. He is praising the faith of a Gentile. You don't see him ever praising the faith of a Jew. But he's praising the faith of a Gentile. Because he says, that man said, I am a man under authority and in authority. And when I say to one of my soldiers, do this, he does it. And to another, do that. He does it. So just speak the word and he'll be well. And Jesus recognizes that this man understood authority and he praised him for his faith. When we understand authority, it is huge. This is why I really respect the local church leadership, because this is authority to me. I know the pastor very well. I know Roger, the pastor, very well from the time he was a youth pastor. He was my, my kid's youth pastor. And in fact, we used to get together for lunch periodically because he used to look to me for counsel. You know, like I'm going to you know, help this young guy out on what to do. And, you know, it must have worked. Now he's the senior pastor. So, um, but when he calls, if he calls my office or he sends me an email that he wants to talk with me, I'm like, Gope? What have I done? Because I really respect authority because he's the pastor now. I really respect authority. I'm not going to speak poorly of authority, of my authority. I'm not going to speak poorly of the the chairman of my department. I'm not going to speak poorly of, of my pastor. Because they are in authority. The New Testament tells us to honor the authority that's over us. Daniel understood authority. He didn't just dig in his heels. He made the decision in his mind, but he said, I don't have the ability to execute this. So he appeals, he's appealing now, it says, to the commander of the officials. Well, who's the commander of the officials? Well, it says back in verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials. So he appeals to Ashpenaz. Look at verse 9 of Daniel chapter 1. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head to the king. So he appealed. It says God granted him favor in the eyes of the command of the officials. This is what God does. I pray for favor all the time. Lord, grant me favor in the eyes of the university president. I do that. And he calls me to his office periodically just to get a feeling for you know, what's happening in the trenches. You know, Lord, grant me favor. You can pray. Lord, grant me favor with my boss. Lord, grant me favor with those in authority over me. Pray that prayer. This is what Daniel did. The Lord grants favor. The Lord opens doors. The Lord closes doors. The Lord does things. Daniel appealed. And what was the answer? He says, look, Daniel, you know, you're a great guy. I really like you and your three friends. But if you guys start getting skinny and looking haggard on me, the king's going to take off my head. I just can't do it. So Daniel didn't say, well, forget you. You're not going to give me what I want? I'll just do it anyway. No, this man understood authority. Jesus equated authority... Understanding authority with faith. So it says in verse 11, But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra. So this is no longer to Ashpenaz. This is to his direct overseer, the one who had been appointed specifically over him. So he goes to his overseer and he says this. He says, please, verse 12, Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. I mean, Daniel's a sharp guy. He says, could you just test us in this? So just because he heard no the first time, he was convinced in his mind that God was going to give him a victory. So do you see that faith means sometimes appealing again? And he says, let's try a test. Test us now and this just for 10 days. I mean, we can't get too skinny in 10 days. Let us eat just vegetables because vegetables are always going to be kosher. Let us eat just vegetables and we'll just drink water. We won't drink their wine. And test us and see how we look compared to the other guys. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink. And he kept giving them vegetables. This was an intervention of God. What about this choice? How come we can't enjoy this choice food like all the other guys? Well, you can enjoy it. But do you want to be dedicated to the Lord? How come I can't sleep around like everybody else? Well, because I'm dedicated to the Lord. How come I can't just have all these boyfriends like all these these other girlfriends of mine have? Well, because you're dedicated to the Lord. That's why. That's why. You could do it. You have the free will. You have the free will to do it. He gives us the free will to be able to do all of these things that the world enjoys. We have the free will. We can choose our own lifestyles, but we cannot choose the consequences. That's already been ordained. That's already been established. The consequences we cannot choose. But we can choose the lifestyle. Daniel made a decision. His friends made a decision. He understood authority. He went through the levels of authority and God granted him favor. And I think if this guy had said no, if God didn't open the door, he would have to eat the food. But here you see that God did open the door and this was a direct intervention because generally those who eat just vegetables look a lot thinner than those who are eating choice meats. And those who drink wine get a lot of calories from wine. These guys are just drinking water. So God directly intervened in their situation. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. God interceded on their behalf. This is not just for Daniel and his friends. If you learn to pray that God would intercede on your careers, on your, on your work, on your research, on your, your, your classwork, on your exams, He will do that. I prayed my way through school. I really did. And I still pray for God's intervention in, in my work. Because in my work, what really distinguishes people is not how smart they are, not how many facts in chemistry they know, they know. But what really distinguishes a person is their creativity. When you come up with something and people read your articles and they're like, whoa, I wish I had thought of that. That's what distinguishes. Where does creativity come from? God grants it. That's what I pray. You can pray that God fills you. That God gives you. That is what's demonstrated to us. That God interceded. And this wasn't... Good Jewish teaching. This was teaching in the occult. Not that they had to practice it, but they had to understand it. This was teaching in what idols are what in this, along with science. This was teaching in astrology. And we know there was teaching in astrology, because we're going to see it later on. They had to learn about all all, all, all this this, uh, astrology, this worship of stars. They didn't participate in the worship of stars, but they had to learn it. When you're in medical school, you're going to learn how to perform abortions. And that might be totally grotesque to you, because you value human life. And you'll feel like Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. I remember sitting in classes as an undergraduate, taking religion, where the professors seemed to just dump on Christianity. Where you'd go to Introduction to Philosophy and they quickly disprove the existence of God. There are things that you have to sit through in life and learn, but you don't have to be one with it. But we are exposed to these things because this is not a theocracy. We are living under Gentile rule, under unbeliever rule, unbelievers rule. So we have to live within this framework. This is why I am not afraid of secular universities for believers. I'm not afraid of it. This is where we engage with the world. We have to learn these things. But God can endow us with wisdom and intelligence in all of these branches so that we become better than everyone else in it, though we are not active participants in it. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that You would give them a heart like Daniel to make a decision in their mind, they would make up their minds when it comes to their sexual lives, when it comes to their dedication of their bodies for You, the dedication of their minds for You. Lord, that they would make up their minds even now to dedicate their lives to You. Father, let them make up their minds. And then, Lord, grant them the wisdom to appeal to authority as they go through life, to understand authority, Father, I pray that they'd understand authority and learn the great blessing that comes by working through authority. And Lord, I pray for those here that do not know You, that this very day they would say, Lord God, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life. Lord, that they too will know the power that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ filling a life. Father, teach us Your ways how to live in this world. Teach us how to reflect the God whom we serve to the unbelievers, that we would reflect that to the unbelievers. Lord, bless these young people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.